You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 309. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hello! Hey, son, hey, son, Annika, you're back! Yes! <laughs> Good. I mean, not from Australia. You're still in Australia, no. right? Yeah, I'm, I'm back, on the show. <laughs> back on the show. Yes, I am. <laughs> what is it like down there now? Is it very hot? Uh, right now, actually not. The The hot weather broke, but last week it was. Mm. We were on a um, interesting and nice park called Green Valley Farm. And yeah, no reception there whatsoever. That's why mm-hmm. I was like, pretty much before I was like, guys, I think I can't do any recording. I think even if I would need it an ambulance, I probably would have needed to run somewhere that has a landline, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. But we had a good time. It was really nice. Really good pool for kids. <laughs> Luna had a blast. <laughs> <laughs> That's always good. We saw pictures. Yeah. And yeah, now we're back in Armidale. We have a bit of a drizzle right now, mm-hmm. but I think our skin will be happy for that. So I, I'm not complaining. <laughs> and when are you coming back to Europe? In a bit more than a week. So mm, okay. Friday next week. All right. Well, it's too bad you missed a quite good interview with, with such yes. a lovely and interesting person, Elizabeth Bick. Perhaps there are listeners who have missed it as well. Go back. And listen to it. It's mm-hmm. it's worth it. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you're not the only one who missed something, right? I mean, Pontus, I just heard that you managed to miss the Northern Lights. Yes, there were the Aurora Borealis. Wow! I always wanted to see them, and they're not usually not visible this far south where I live. And apparently, two nights ago, they were visible, but nobody told uh. me, so I missed it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm waiting no. all my life to see it, but okay. What a shame. Oh, okay. okay, I kind of know the feeling, because I'd been traveling to Sicily for a long, long time, for years, and every time I visited Sicily, I missed the eruption of Mount Etna, and I had to wait <laughs> like 10 years for that to happen in front of me, hmm. but that was worth it. So, uh, who knows? We probably got a couple of aurora experiences in here. I may get lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we had another volcano eruption right this week. Oh yeah, Ooh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was tough. That was that was a big one. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was funny because like the only repercussion we had here was that Scotty wanted to show me the Iron Man, and he was like, "Oh no, actually they cancelled. We got a tsunami warning for Sydney." <laughs> Ooh, wow. So yeah. Bit interesting, but uh, apparently nothing much really happened so far. Well, not in Sydney. In Sydney, in Sydney, of course, well, yeah. In mm. the capital of Tonga, that that's a different scenario. I, I was yeah. a bit uh, Australia-centric there. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. But it's fascinating. Yeah, maybe we should do a, a ESP Aurora tour. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. More for it. I'm up for it. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Before we leave <laughs> Australia, I couldn't go to Australia, of course with you, Annika. It was never on the table. But what I did do yesterday was talk to our friend Richard Saunders again. So Mm. if I didn't make too much of a fool of myself, I will be on the next uh, Skeptic Zone, which will Mm -hmm. come out this weekend, I believe. Unless he changed his mind, but uh, I don't think so. What did you guys talk about? We talked about the VOF study that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago on, on, Mm -hmm. on our show. 
and we got into some details about uh, what do people believe in and speculated a little bit as to why and some things were a bit surprising and other things were what you would expect but we agreed that it's good to know because mm-hmm. we can we skeptics we are always trying to fight misconceptions and pseudoscience and and things and if we don't know how many people believe in them we may focus on the wrong things mm. yeah this is richard saunders from sydney australia the producer of the skeptic zone podcast since 2008 the skeptic zone has been bringing you interviews insights reports and investigations covering the world of science and skepticism Join me and my team of reporters each week at www.skepticzone.tv. All right. You know what, guys? I think we have quite a packed episode to follow Mm -hmm. up with. So uh, why don't we move on to the first segment, which is Twish or This Week in Skeptical History. All right, and you know, um, there are people <laughs> whose birthdays <laughs> are not very well established. So this is why I'm going to go with someone whose date of death is uh, much better known. <laughs> well, not even that, actually. It's the date of his burial that we know for sure. And that is the 21st of January, 17. 17- 89 so quite a troublesome time around there in france and the person that i'm talking about is well i'm gonna try to pronounce the name properly that is paul andre theory baron dolbach well (laughs) bless you (laughs) yeah i I, I don't know because he was born paul heinrich dietrich which is a much easier name to try to pronounce i'm not saying i'm i'm doing it well sorry annika it's fine (laughs) But he was a French-German philosopher, and uh, he contributed to a very famous work of literature, which is the Encyclopédie, which was probably the most, one of the most important pieces of of writing in the 1700s. And it was published in France sometime between 1751 and 1772, and it aimed at putting together all the knowledge in science, in politics, in the history of everything together and bring it up for everyone to be able to read about it. It it contained a lot of uh, translations from other works. It was edited by Denis Diderot, who was a a friend of this guy that I'm talking about today. So this guy was born in uh, current-day Germany, but became a prominent figure of the French Enlightenment. Yeah, he was wealthy. He was, like, filthy rich. (laughs) And that led him to offer those very interesting meetings. So those were very famous at the time. Those were called the Salons. And the Salons brought together the greatest minds of the time. Not only from the area of France, but from France, from Germany, and even from England. People the likes of John Wilkes, Diderot, Denis Diderot, and even Jean-Jacques Rousseau were mm-hmm. among the people who attended mm-hmm. his uh, salon meetings. And that was going on exactly around the time of his contributions and the publication of the encyclopedia. 
Even David Hume was among the people, and Adam Smith wow. attended his salons. Amazing people. And you know who else? Benjamin Franklin. Ah. So yeah. uh, those were the times, and those were the circles to be in at the time. And uh, he was lucky enough to be dead before the French Revolution started, <laughs> so he didn't have to worry about that. He was um, buried in the Church of Saint Roch. At some point, the burial ground and and the place and the ossuary was ransacked so uh, we have no idea where he lies currently or if his remains are still there somewhere never mind the main thing that i wanted to mention him for was not only his contributions to the encyclopedia which was really an important work of natural history but he also published a book titled the system of nature or le système de la nature and he used, uh, d- did this under the, the pseudonym Jean-Baptiste de Mirabeau. The, that was a name that he borrowed from the secretary of the French Academy of Sciences, who had died 10 years earlier. So uh, that was quite a weird move. But um, he had started publishing works on his religious views as well. But it's mainly an anti-religious stance that he took. He completely denied the existence of any kind of deity and uh, refused all the a priori arguments for a deity to exist. So he's considered one of the greatest figures of the atheist movement, the, the modern atheist movement as well. Not only that, but he criticized, well, at that time, those ideas could not be separated from the church, right? So he specifically criticized the Catholic Church that he regarded as a very corrupt establishment that only makes people suffer and takes away the happiness from people's lives. Sounds like my kind of guy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a guy that contributed a lot to the French Enlightenment. And with that, he influenced many thinkers and writers outside the territory of uh, France as well. So uh, that was Paul-Henri Thierry Baron Dolbach or uh, Paul Heinrich Dietrich, (laughs) (laughs) who died on the 21st of January 1789. I'd like to think of those salons that he organized like uh, some very fancy skeptics in the pub meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. (laughs) I kind of had that feeling (laughs) as well about it. Yeah. But Pontus, you probably have something to say about the Catholic Church yourself as well. (laughs) All right. Let's hear that. Yeah, two weeks ago I reported on how Frank is desperate for Catholics to get him many babies. I guess he knows that's the only way to grow the religion really fast. Organic. Yeah, but you're not, <laughs> you're not talking about him getting many babies literally. <laughs> not, not him personally, no, but he, I think he considers all of the Catholic babies his flock and he wants a lot of them. Give me babies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And everybody knows that the Catholic Church is against birth control, but I think mm-hmm. that many people do not realize why that is. The official reason is, of course, and the reason that you bring the think of and that's brought forward is that life is sacred and God alone should decide about creating life and uh, we should create as many of them as we can. <laughs> but that's <laughs> not really, that's not the whole truth, actually, historically. 
People had a very fuzzy idea about how babies were made a long time ago. I mean, they were made the same way they're done now, but but I think people <laughs> didn't know about it so much. Of course, you don't have to be a genius to see the correlation between having sex and getting pregnant. I think they got that part. But the whole thing about sperm meets egg is a rather new discovery, actually. Take the story about the Virgin Mary giving birth to Jesus. I don't think a lot of people imagined holy sperm being involved. It was all sort of magic back then. But the reason for promoting marriage, family and child rearing, even in the old days, in the medieval times, was never the concern of, well, I shouldn't say it was never, but it wasn't primarily the concern of life being sacred. It was still already then for the church to grow. And so Francis is building on this legacy. And again, the best way to grow the church was to have people staying monogamous and to live in stable relationships, no hanky-panky on the side because that's messy, (laughs) so that they can raise a lot of kids efficiently (laughs) and, and well. That was the origin, in a way, of the moral view on sex. It was order in the society. Hey, so why do, why am I talking about this again? Well, because Frankie is still at it and uh, is promoting for people to breed like rabbits. On January 5th, Frankie had the following to say, quote, Today we see a form of selfishness. We see that some people do not want to have a child, or perhaps one or two children, but they have dogs and cats that take the place of children, end quote. Do I have to point out how stupid (laughs) that is? (laughs) Also insensitive. First of all, most people do not see pets as a substitution for kids. That's ridiculous. And from my personal experience, I can attest that some families have pets because they have children. I don't even remember the names of all the rabbits, hamsters, and other creatures that have <laughs> passed through my home due to the kids, right? So that's, yeah. that's yeah, not... Yeah, but you did your fair share of uh, producing kids as well. I, You've got I three, did, I so. did, but I wouldn't have had pets <laughs> if I didn't. But okay. the big problem and the important and tragical dimension of this is that there are lots of people out there, many, many couples, who try for years to get children. And sometimes it just doesn't mm-hmm. happen. It isn't the magic. And, and sometimes it doesn't work. And imagine that, being a Catholic, and you hear from the Holy Bloody Father that you adore so much, that you are being selfish for getting a dog or a cat instead of, quote-unquote, having children, when you're really desperate to have children and it doesn't work. And the greatest irony of of this, and I've talked about this before, in the Catholic Church, you decided that priests, bishops, and popes cannot and should not have sex and should not get children. And then you criticize other people who try to do it but can't do it, no matter how hard they try. And you say it's because they're getting a dog instead. (laughs) I I can't... Fuck you, Frankie. That's so stupid. Yeah. It is. But now I realize that I had no idea why that was funny. I think it was on Facebook. I saw a video, a set of photographs where it was really put together like a labor room where where someone is being born. And then it ended up being a cat. (laughs) 
<laughs> there were really funny photos taken, but I had no idea why it was funny. Yeah, no, I was referring to this silly comment that he made. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. I mean, Could be. I have to say, I also find it a tiny bit cringe when people go around with like a pram and then they have a cat or a dog in there. As a mom of an actual baby, a human baby, I'm just like, I feel a bit weird. But I don't I'm think I've ever seen that, actually. That's absolutely their decision. It's my fault that I feel weird about that, but it's their decision to run yeah. around with a stroller yeah. or a pram with a cat or dog in it. And it doesn't make them selfish. <laughs> so. No. no. No, and who who is he to say who's selfish because of not having children anyway? Yeah. So he's just he hasn't shut the gotten up. any children himself. At yeah. least oh, that yeah. we know not of. That, not that we know of, yeah. No, probably not. And uh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Enough of him. Enough of him. Yes. Be yeah. gone. <laughs> yeah, he's the he's the past. Let's see what's in the present of Europe. So let's hear the news. Sadly, it's not something really good that I want to talk about. Aye, aye. Because there's actually an increase in attacks against journalists, especially for reporting on COVID. The numbers actually doubled between 2019 and 21. There were 33 attacks in 19, 51 in 2020, and 76 in 21. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you can see that the numbers went up a lot. And the big trend there, of course, is attacking journalists covering protests of anti-lockdown or anti-COVID measures. Uh-huh. This is a very worrying signal for media freedom, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Who would want to cover any of these events if uh, there are repercussions, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Now journalists have spoken up about it and they want more protection, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they also want the persecution of murderers of journalists because that often doesn't happen. More about that later. Wow. And I was like, what? How <laughs> can that not be persecuted? It's like a, it's a murder, for God's sake. Or for fuck's sake you know (laughs) and it's just very horrifying i think and i grew up with journalists being a bit of like an objective outsider so like they're sacrosanct Uh in my mind like Uh medics and journalists are sacrosanct for Hmm. me for example in italy a team was assaulted while reporting on a demonstration on italy's green passe that we talked about Mm. in Uh two episodes ago Mm-hmm. And in France, a TV team was uh, violently attacked in March 21. In the UK, they tried to storm the BBC headquarters, but they used a building that the BBC had already vac- vacated a few years ago before. So yeah, they, they really... mistook the place, right? They <laughs> yes, are... yes. <laughs> can't even do bad things right. They're so incompetent. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, definitely. But it's still like you can still see that there's a lot of violence there. And Mm. people call media the virus at times, which is also not like it's really dehumanizing in a way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, as I said, they are even murdered, like Maltese journalist Daphne Kurana Galicia or other Irish and British journalists I can just also give you the numbers. There were 33 assassinations between 2015 and 21, and in 26 cases, they have not resulted in a trial. Wow. You can see how, like, how much, how many people actually get away with murdering journalists. 
horrifying. I cannot wrap my head around no. the fact that that can happen. No. No. Just imagine, like, we are journalists in a way as skeptics, and just imagine, and skeptics are podcasters, just imagine someone walks up to us, murders us, and they're not even convicted. Like, what? But how, how can that be? That means that the system is broken, the system doesn't yes. work, the system yes. doesn't provide citizens with even a hint of justice. Yeah. Yeah, justice cannot be served after you're dead, but at least the people can be taken off the streets who, who do that. Wow. It's horrifying. And it feels like it's also victim blaming in a way of like, mm. if you're a journalist, it's your own fault. The problem is that there's also a loss of trust on journalists. And that's fueled by public figures like Donald Trump or a person we all know, Viktor Orban. Mm. Yeah. They antagonize uh, media and they also revoke licenses. So, for example, the license for broadcasting of Club Radio. I don't know if I pronounced oh. it correctly. Okay, yes, that's right. We appear quite often on Club Radio, yeah. actually. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Hungarian skeptics. Mm, yeah. Of course, there are still good, good in a way, countries where journalists don't have to fear for their life too much. Norway, Finland and Sweden maintain a high standard there. But all in all, it's, it's not looking good in Europe. And this is uh, horrifying and sad for me. Yeah. I mean, journalists themselves should probably not be considered sacred in any way, but informing the public is a job that has to be taken seriously. And, yeah. uh, well, there are other jobs that, that need to be taken seriously. One of them is uh, that of healthcare workers, right? Mm. Yes. So you have to have a certain level of trust towards the healthcare system and uh, those people making it work. But when that is not provided, that's when you have a problem. And in countries like Italy, where very strong COVID measures have been seen, in December they introduced uh, something that is called the Super Green Pass. The Super Green? Super Green Pass. That's the that's <laughs> top-level Green Pass. It's like neon green. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That means that you can only have your green pass if you're that super green pass if you go through your proper vaccination schedule. That is required to access cinemas, gyms, nightclubs, stadiums, uh, and bars and restaurants. Uh, especially things like uh, a lot of jobs had to consider that they were forced to get themselves jabbed, otherwise, they could not attend work even. But this results in very crazy situations all over the country. And the latest of those crazies is a woman in Palermo, in Sicily, who was uh, recently arrested. She was a nurse. She was arrested in uh, the city for pretending to give COVID vaccines to anti-vaxxer activists and providing them with a certificate in order for them to be able to access those bars, restaurants, uh, being able to travel. Super fake green passes. Super fake super green passes. That's that's what, what it was all about. And uh, they she was filmed doing that with a hidden camera. Hmm. So before the actual inoculation, she emptied the syringe into tissue and then pretended to give the jab. Probably poke the person, but that was about it. 
And the, the, the weird thing about all this is that it was not the first time that this happened. You probably remember the guy who went to the, the vaccination point with a fake arm. Yeah. <laughs> that was... <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> ridiculous. And uh, the other day, there was an Ital- another nurse in Ancona, in the Marca region. A very similar situation occurred there, where she gave fake COVID vaccines to at least 45 people. And people are paying, in one of the cases, there was, there was a police officer with another alleged scam, and the anti-vaccination sentiment is growing so big in, in the country that even police officers are paying very large amounts of money to get the fake jabs so that they can get away with it and they don't have to actually vaccinate themselves. 300 to 400 euros is what we're talking about for a fake jab. So people are so stupid that they're willing to pay that amount of money for a fake jab because they don't want to get actual vaccinations, but they want the benefits of those people who are vaccinated. Yeah, and they probably think that the the society is spending too much money on the real vaccines. So, uh-huh. and then they spend even more on fake vaccines. It's yeah, I don't know. Uh-huh. It looks like the Italian Council of Ministers decided to just gear it up a notch, and they announced a couple of days ago that they would be issuing a decree that will mean that unvaccinated worker workers of fifty years or older will be fined and uh, could even lose their salary if they are not getting vaccinated in time. And they provided a time frame for that as well. So the decree will take effect on February the 15th. Mm -hmm. So uh, very draconian measures are being taken, but with so many weird things going on in the country, uh, with people just experimenting with all those fake jabs and crazy idiots willing to pay so much money to get a fake jab this is probably what is absolutely called for yeah i got my third uh, my booster shot last week and i was very happy to do that it it didn't cost anything not 300 euros not one euro i got it for free so i'm very happy with that you had to get to the vaccination point somehow that must have cost you something yes I, I walked, so it probably was wearing a little bit on my shoes there. I can I can afford that. <laughs> okay. All right, uh, enough of COVID for a little while anyway. Uh, Good. Change of subject. We've said it before and we'll say it again. The planet is getting warmer. The Copernicus Climate Change Service is an excellent service. Unfortunately, they are finding um, worrying things. They have delivered a report about 2021 and the news is bad. For Europe, 2021 was the hottest summer ever recorded. We have mentioned before the record uh, temperature of 48.8 degrees centigrade in Sicily, breaking the previous record with close to one full degree. The last seven years are the top seven years on a global scale when it comes to being hot or warm. 2021 was not the hottest year, though. It was only in fifth place. But then we should consider that 2021 was a La Nina year. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the phenomenon in the Pacific that actually lowers the temperature. So those years tend to be a bit colder. So last year was on fifth place, not top of the peak, but uh, much higher than normal. But it's not about individual peaks. It's about averages. And the average 
temperature on Earth in 2021 was between 1.1 and 1.2 degrees Celsius above the pre-industrial level around 150 years ago. And the target we have set for ourselves is uh, 1.5 degrees. So we are almost there already. And we are not stopping the pollution. I mean, we're still generating a lot of uh, greenhouse gases. And speaking of greenhouse gases, normally we talk mostly about CO2, of course. And yes, in 2021, uh, we saw a new record in modern times with the concentration in the atmosphere of 414 ppm parts per million. And it's growing in a similar pace as before, despite the COVID pandemic. But worse than CO2 is uh, methane levels. They have risen to 1,876 ppm. And that's an even higher growth rate uh, than in 2020. And uh, it is the highest level ever. Methane, as we know, is is actually even worse as a greenhouse gas Mm -hmm. than CO2. The, the reason we don't talk about it that much is that it lasts much less time in the atmosphere. It dissipates after a while. But still, when we continue to spew out new record levels of it, it still is a huge problem. We've said it, this before as well, but I guess the, the conclusion is that we are basically screwed. This is not going very well. <laughs> yeah, good news, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but one of the reasons why it's not going very well is uh, because a lot of fake news Mm. circulates around the interwebs. Mm. That results in people believing in weird shit, including not believing in global climate change. Mm. And that can have an effect on policy, because if uh, people don't take it seriously enough, that means that policymakers will not necessarily listen to the needs of the many. This is why 80 different fact-checking organizations from 60 different nations decided to issue an open letter to YouTube urging the media giant to address misinformation and disinformation on their platform. And uh, that has made the news uh, all over the place. And it's quite a big thing because they claim that YouTube is a major conduit of fake news. Mm. And that's a very strong statement. But they actually say that in their open letter to Susan Wojcicki, who is, I think, the director or the CEO of uh, the Google-owned YouTube platform. The thing is, they come up with very important examples of how YouTube videos can make a difference in, well, not necessarily in a positive way, in uh, local elections in several different countries. They can start movements like, for example, conspiracy groups. One of them started in Germany, jumped to Spain, and then spread through all over Latin America. And uh, Greek and Arabic videos encourage people not to accept vaccinations and stuff. Not to talk about a bogus cures that circulate on there. And whenever this issue is being brought up, YouTube just simply states that, well, there are are guidelines, and if uh, any of the videos don't meet our guidelines, then we take them off. But the problem is that taking off a video is not necessarily the way to go about this whole thing. So what these fact-checkers propose, among many other things, is that you should 
probably superimpose videos on these videos with questionable content with the debunking of that content Mm. or uh, what the fact checkers came up with. And they, of course, offer their help to YouTube. They offered a conversation about it. And what is very important from a European point of view is that they emphasize the need for these steps to be made in non-English speaking countries and non-English speaking versions of the platform. And uh, I couldn't agree more. There's always something going on in the English speaking versions, but non-English speaking countries are usually left out. So they put together four points of proposed solutions. One of them is a commitment to meaningful transparency, meaning that they should make available information opposed to the kind of misinformation and disinformation that is being built up there. They emphasize that the content management of YouTube and the YouTube policies allow for like borderline misinformation kind of content that cannot necessarily be identified immediately as misinformation and as such is not taken down. And in the second point, they say that, yeah, there is a need for the legal compliance, but YouTube should make it sure that they provide context and offer those debunks that I already talked about. And they propose another important point, which is acting against repeat offenders. If someone posts a lot of videos that have similar contents and they are being debunked and some are even taken down, then probably establish a couple of guidelines, establish a couple of restrictions as to what they can upload. And the fourth point is that you have to make it available in different languages. Yeah, a lot of different countries, among them a lot of European countries, uh, featured their fact-checking organizations on that open letter. Mm. Among the signatories, there are organizations from different, many, many different uh, countries from Lithuania, Turkey to Greece, the UK, Norway, Croatia, Spain, and all that. So uh, Italy and Poland. So a lot of lot of different countries. Apparently, those fact-checkers agree on one more thing. Mm. Yeah, and a thing that we probably agree on <laughs> is that homeopaths are not really medics. They are not medics at all, no. Well, it depends. Well, they can be both, but if you're a homeopath, I wouldn't go to a doctor who's a homeopath as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're only a homeopath, if you're like a homeopathic GP, then, of course, you also have medical training. Yeah. But the question was asked by me because the... World Health Organization was urged by a Liga Medicorum Homeopathica Internationalis, which pretty much means uh, the League of Medical Homeopaths internationally, <laughs> or international homeopaths. But isn't it, isn't it funny how they use Latin wording so that it sounds yes. very serious? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just realized that the plural of homeopath is a League of Homeopaths. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's what that sounds fitting in, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like not a murder of crows, it's a league of homeopaths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the World Health Organization got urged by this league of homeopaths to immediately begin training for homeopathy for doctors and GPs mm. because of antibiotic resistance. 
Did you see that coming? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because they claim uh, homeopathy is not working against antibiotic resistance, and it's in- inexpensive and good for the planet, and that's why they should start training everyone in homeopathy. Yeah. Yeah. This is not worrying because of the message. Like, yes, antibiotic resistance is worrying. It's worrying because we can see, again, how delusional... Homeopaths are. It's just like, of course, it's not doing anything for or against antibiotic resistance because it's not medicine, guys. Yeah. You know, doesn't work at all. So, so how can it? It's a, yeah. yeah, it's the parallel to there's no side effects. No, there are no effects. So, of course, there's yeah, no side exactly. effects. You shouldn't be proud of that. Yeah. Mm. Exactly, and and it's just like yeah, it's it's frightening that these people actually treat people. Mm. That these people actually have access to vulnerable people. And that's what's worrying about that. Of course, the World Health Organization won't really consider that petition. So there you go. Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) Okay, back to social media again then. We talked about YouTube before. Uh, TikTok. There's a lot of news about Russia invading Ukraine at the moment. Uh, we hope that won't yeah, happen, yeah. but there's a lot of worry. So mm. it's sort of the Cold War is back again. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you've all heard about that. That's bad enough. But that's politics, not skepticism. But uh, then, as I said, we have social media and TikTok, in this case, have a specific phenomenon. Apparently, Swedish children are now being targeted on TikTok with messages to the effect that Russia is about to invade Sweden. Headers on TikTok videos include Russia plans to invade Sweden. Russia will bomb Sweden. Why Russia? I don't want to die, was one video. War is coming now. Prepare food and clothing. This is targeted to children in Swedish. So there is a child protection organization called BRIS, B-R-I-S, I won't go into the what it means, but it's uh, it's a free phone phone support line and and other things as well. But mostly, it's a phone support line for children that are, that need help. Everything from abuse to parents who are addicts or have mental health issues, uh, thoughts about suicide, things like that. And they are now getting a lot of calls about this. Children are worried because they've seen on TikTok that Russia is about to invade us. This organization, Bris, are now urging parents to talk with their children about this and and try to put this into perspective. So this is really, really nefarious. This is obviously a targeted campaign to spread fear in children on TikTok. Terrible. Yeah, can you cannot start spreading fear early enough in in a person's development, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's that's ridiculous. Yeah, something else that's um, being done, well, I wouldn't necessarily call it nefarious, but it's definitely wrong. That is publication of uh, questionable mm, research or even falsified research. This is what we discussed uh, with Elizabeth Bick on the the last episode when we had an interview with her. And uh, now, apparently, one of the most prolific publishers, Frontiers, Frontiers Media, which uh, publishes, uh, well, 80 
different journals. So that was a number back in uh, 2020, from the frontiers of agronomy to analytical science to astronomy, radiology, and sensors and all that. They have been accepting a lot of uh, different papers and one of the interesting parts of this the works of this publisher is that they have an open access open peer review kind of approach so the open peer review is an interesting approach that that would be worth discussing at some point whether it gives a better transparency to science that you publish the names of your peer reviewers but the problem now is that in the last month they have retracted at least a dozen papers, which is a very hard number for only one publisher, Mm. right? Publisher, by the way, based in Switzerland, in Lausanne. One of the the papers in Frontiers in Endocrinology, and uh, then followed by one in uh, Frontiers of Oncology and Frontiers in uh, Physiology. And it turns out that all of these have been published by Chinese researchers. Mm-hmm. All authors have been from China. And that reminds me of something that uh, Elizabeth Big talked about, and that China. was the, the China paper mill, mm-hmm. right? These might have been examples of those publications that were there to help students go up the ladder but don't hold any scientific relevance because the data is all fabricated, the data is all made up. Mm. So no real scientific research is behind these. If that is the case, that's a real shame. But the fact that they are investigating these is very interesting. But but it's good news in a way, right? That they are now starting to retract these papers. What triggered that? Do we know that? Did they just start it on their own? Or was it somebody like Elizabeth Bick who told them to do it well i don't see that mm. actually in retraction watch's report on this it is not specifically mentioned and uh, the excerpts from the notices are well worded in a way that it's very politically correct so mm-hmm. they don't want to reveal who raised the concerns and uh, why this this whole thing started but it's just the fact that they are being investigated okay mm-hmm. yeah in one of the, the the cases they say as soon as the issue was brought to our attention we launched an extensive internal investigation yeah they have that that's a copy paste phrase from somewhere else yes 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 but it's it's good that they are doing something for yeah. science integrity yeah, yeah. Um, Something that's also a good thing, and that Edson Ernst did, (laughs) is there's a new book out by him. Yeah, he's done a lot for for the integrity of science, that's that's for sure. Oh yes, oh yes. (laughs) And and, um, he has been very prolific in writing books. And the new one, the new one is called Charles, the Alternative Prince, an Unauthorized Biography. (laughs) It will be published in February. And as the title already tells you, is about Prince Charles and his love with alternative medicine. Hmm. It's about his beliefs and his ambitions. They're assessed and put in contrast to scientific evidence. Mm-hmm. And you can see that there is a, a very big contrast there between his beliefs and scientific evidence. He calls himself the enemy of the Enlightenment and... That seems to be his thing. (laughs) 
because this book really shows us where he's coming from and also why it's wrong what he's thinking. This book is really nice for everyone who's a critical thinker or who wants to think more critically. And as I already said, it was done by Edzard Ernst, whose work we all love. He held the first chair in complementary medicine in Exeter, so he knows a lot about the UK and about alternative medicine. So this book will definitely be very interesting to read, I think. He knows a lot about Prince Charles as well. Uh, exactly, he was removed exactly. from that position because of Prince Charles. So Old <laughs> yes. arch nemesis. So it'll be very interesting yeah. to yeah. see what he has to, to say about yeah, him. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It, will be, it will be an interesting read for many reasons. <laughs> yeah, but I have to say this is very timely in the sense as well that the royal family has been experiencing a couple of issues lately. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they are being criticized. So Andrew Prince Andrew is being ripped of all his all his titles. It's uh, only well, the Andrew now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Prince Andrew still he's a prince by birth, but but that's about it. He's going to be still the Duke of York, but uh, all the other titles of his are gone. Yeah, going back to the Queen. Ah, Lots of material for the continuation of the series The Crown. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Must be the easiest job in the world to write that series. (laughs) They do it themselves, (laughs) and you just take notes. Okay, then this happened. Thank you, guys. (laughs) Yeah, they should probably make sure that they don't take any ideas from the series then. All right, so congratulations to Adzadarns. Yes. Doing it once again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he did say, I think at the European Skeptics Congress, that he plans to publish a book every year until he dies. And I remember saying to him that we hope that it will be a lot of books then. Yeah, keep going. Keep going, it. Yes. All right. But that brings us to the end of the news segment. And turns our skeptical ears towards finding out who's been really wrong lately. Yes, I think nobody will be surprised about this one. Novak Djokovic. Do I need to say more? (laughs) No. So I think uh, everyone is now very familiar with this story, so I'll try to keep it short, but... (laughs) Of course, very famous number one ranking tennis player Djokovic, who has made several anti-vax comments in the past. He decided to go to Australia without being vaccinated. He expected to be able to play in the Australian Open anyway. Uh, And it's a great deal to him, of course. He stood the chance that if he won the tournament, he would have won more Grand Slam titles in the world than anybody else. Uh, But then when he got there, he got detained in customs because he wasn't vaccinated. Then he claimed an exemption to the rules because he had tested positive for COVID on 16th of December. But then the visa application was not filled in correctly. And he blamed, of course, his quote unquote support team. Well, I think you should take care of your own. (laughs) You should take responsibility for your own applications. Don't blame somebody else. Take care of your guys. Don't, Don't blame it on them. And uh, then uh, it turns out that he attended an interview and a photo shoot just the day after he got the results showing that he was positive. So he didn't uh, take care, basically ignored the fact that he was contagious. And then there's Mm. been some back and forth, some legal shenanigans in Australia. 
But eventually the matter got escalated to Australia's Minister for Immigration, Alex Hawke, who in the end um, said, no, no visa, go home, we don't want you. And in (laughs) the meanwhile, back in Serbia, the Serbian president, Aleksandr Vucic, please send me your files explaining how to uh, pronounce that. Anyway, he is then trying to whip this up as a national insult and it's he's calling it very unfair and it's all a plot and a conspiracy yada 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 against the serbian nation against right? the serbian nation yes yeah because they had a <laughs> yeah right anyway djokovic has now been sent home he arrived back in belgrade he spent at least a week in australia in and out of quarantine and now of course the next thing happened that he could have foreseen if he thought a little bit a member of the french parliament christophe castanet said that they have a new law in France that will exclude unvaccinated people from sports events, from restaurants also, and from other public places. And that law will apply to anyone who wants to play in the French Open. And France's sports ministry said on Monday that once the new law was in place, there will be no exceptions until further notice. So I guess he messed up really bad. Um, but the <laughs> worst thing is that he was so arrogant about it. He thought probably, mm-hmm. or yeah. the, the impression you get is that he felt he was so famous and that he was above the rules and he could do whatever he wanted. And um, turns out not so much. <laughs> so for being arrogant, believing he can do whatever he wants to, even if that includes spreading a deadly virus just because he's famous. Novak Djokovic gets today's prize for being really wrong. Well mm. deserved. Yeah. And guys, do you want to hear the Australian nickname he has? <laughs> yes, oh, please. What is that? Novak Djokovic. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's right. He's earned that's it. a clever one. Good one, huh? Actually, I would even consider giving a really right prize uh, to the Australian government for not making an exception, but we don't give out prizes to all uh, to people outside of Europe. That, right? That's so. right, and they did actually fumble <laughs> quite a lot before they. Got oh yeah, to that's it, right, so. that's right. But they they made the the good decision. They came the, to the right eventually. decision in the end. Yeah. Yes, they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of the show, which means. We will need a quote. Yeah, and this quote is by Baron Dolbach. Oh, I have heard about him, yes. Yes, in Twish. That's Mm. like, it's ringing a bell, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And the quote is as goes. Religion has ever filled the mind of man with darkness and kept him in ignorance of his real duties and true interest. It is only by dispelling the clouds and phantoms of religion that we shall discover truth, reason, and morality. Religion diverts us from the causes of evils and from the remedies of which nature prescribes. Far from curing, it only aggravates, multiplies, and perpetuates them. Ooh, that's so telling worded. it how it is. <laughs> <laughs> we might get Hammering some criticism for that, but that, yeah. It's, I guess it's... back in 17... 17- was it 1780s or something? That could be dangerous yeah. to say that, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that was brave. Right. Easy for me to say that there's no law against heresy in Sweden. So well, there are no current laws to, against but... heresy in Hungary either, but uh, just, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> in in April, we'll, April the 3rd, we will have our general elections. Oh, 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what I also love about this quote, how um, poetic it is, because you can easily say like, oh, clouds and phantoms of religion, that's uh, that's a metaphor, mm. or discover truth, cl- reason and morality, that's a climax. So like the, the English teacher in me is just like, oh, that's such a nice quote. <laughs> yes. It's beautiful. Yes, well, I agree. Too bad originally it was written in French, right? Please, French listeners, tell me if it still was nice. In, in yeah, <laughs> you know what? If someone is from France is listening, you could uh, record and send us the original quote in French. Yeah, yes, that would the whole yes. quote. That would be great. Yeah, yes. that would be good. <laughs> All right, but th- that really concludes our show. And I'd like to thank both of you, Annika and Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Many thanks to our listeners for tuning in and bearing with us. Please keep doing so. And until next week. Goodbye. Tschüss. Hello. Bis lat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. At least a couple of years ago, I could still hear it. The bats. The bats, yeah. But as you grow older, you tend to lose the ability to be an ultrasound <laughs> to anything actually to be honest yeah to hear anything or see Eventually, anything for yes. that matter <laughs> all right i remember um apparently not apparently no, no. not you don't remember <laughs> Who is that? oh my god shoo shoo yeah right